Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> A blessed Thanksgiving to all of you. While not actually a church holiday, and I'll talk a bit more about that at the end, we like to take a day every year around harvest time to give thanks to God for all the blessings that he has given us. From the food on our plates, to the roof over our heads, to the family and friends that we cherish. We know that they are all undeserved gifts to us from our Heavenly Father. And we should recognize that, not just once a year, of course, but all year long. We do, however, still set aside one day in particular for this. Unfortunately, as with everything that we have in this life, these great things and, and loving people, well, they enter and depart from our lives all the time. But have you ever had something that you were very thankful for be taken away, only to be replaced with something better? Maybe a, a sturdy car you once owned finally bit the bullet, and the new one you got was, was even better. Or you finally wore out that favorite comfy pair of jeans, only to be pleasantly surprised when your, your new pair actually fits better. Well, we kind of get a version of that in our epistle reading for today in Philippians 3. There, St. Paul is saying that what he had been given before, while it may have seemed rather valuable to him at the time, now he can see that in comparison to what he has now, well, what he had in the past isn't even worth comparing. Because now Paul has received a gift that is of an infinitely surpassing worth. And something you can be absolutely sure of as well. And that is the joy of knowing Christ. This is the third in our series of four sermons on St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we've said that this letter has such a theme of joy running through it that Philippians is often called the epistle of joy. In the first chapter, we saw that Paul thought of his relationship with the Philippians as a joyful gospel partnership. Last week in the second chapter, St. Paul spoke of the joy of being of the same mind, the mind of Christ. And now today in chapter three, it's the joy of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. That's the big thing in life. It was for St. Paul and it is, well, for you. If you know Christ, everything else pales in comparison. Even what you think are your greatest accomplishments or, or possessions are nothing when compared to knowing Christ, truly knowing your Savior. Look at what St. Paul could have boasted about and prided himself in. He lists them off. And this is quite an impressive list, especially to the Jews of the day. Something to be proud of, you might say. Listen to his pedigree and resume. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to rightness, righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, 
Paul was a true blue Jew, as good as it gets. His adherence to the law throughout his life was impeccable. Circumcised on the eighth day, right on time, according to the covenant, just like it should be for every baby boy placing him firmly under the promise of God. Of the people of Israel, one of God's chosen people, not a pagan, not a heathen Gentile, not a, a lowly convert or one of mixed blood who was still a couple of steps below the actual Israelite at the time, of the tribe of Benjamin even. Benjamin was one of the leading tribes of Israel, more prestigious than most, especially at that time as many of the other tribes had already been bred out, resulting in the Samaritan nation that was, that's living in what was once northern kingdom of Israel. But more than that, Israel's first king, Saul, was from the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, Paul was named after him. Saul of Tarsus was his name before he came to be known as Paul. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul was proud of his ancestry and his heritage. He could trace his lineage back. He was proud of his roots and thankful to God for them. As to the law, a Pharisee. Now, here Paul was going over and above what was required. He was no ordinary Israelite. No, he had chosen a dedicated religious vocation. He was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the elite lawkeepers of the people. They made it their business to be super attentive to the details of the Mosaic law and to make sure they wouldn't even come close to sinning. And they did this by adding their own rules and traditions as sort of a hedge, a buffer zone to keep them from breaking the actual commandments. They had rules about how far of a distance you could walk on a Sabbath day's journey before it was considered work. They had rules about how to wash your hands and how long to wash them to keep from being ceremonial un ceremonially unclean and things like that. And when Saul of Tarsus went to Pharisee school in Jerusalem, he was top of the class, straight A student. He really knew his stuff. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Well, young Saul was so on fire for the Lord, or so he thought. He even took to persecuting that new breakaway group of Jews that followed the condemned, crucified blasphemer, Jesus of Nazareth. Saul participated in the stoning of Stephen. Saul got letters authorizing him to go up to Damascus and arrest the members of that sect up there. That's how zealous Saul was for the rabbinical Judaism that he practiced. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Look, if anybody could be saved by their adherence to the law, it was Saul of Tarsus. Nobody did it better. Nobody had a better pedigree. Nobody had a better resume. No one was more attentive or zealous or righteous. Surely God would reward Saul. Surely Saul had earned his way into God's favor, right? Wrong. Dead wrong. And now... Paul knew it. Listen to what he says. But whatever game I, gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. All that impressive resume that he just listed, Paul now counts as worth nothing in God's sight. In fact, by trusting in his own righteousness, Paul 
had been even digging himself a bigger hole. What is it that you might be counting in your plus column for God? Do you come from a long line of Lutherans? Well, that's good, I guess, and something to be thankful for, but don't trust it for scoring points with God. Have you led an outwardly respectable life, never falling into drugs or drunkenness or sexual promiscuity? Well, again, that's good and all. It's a smart way to live, but you won't earn your way into heaven by doing that either. Do you go to church every week? Fantastic. That's what you should do according to God's word. That's what he calls us to do. But if you're counting on that as a work that you do to merit God's favor, again, you're wrong. Do you treat other people well? Are you basically a kind and thoughtful person? That's all fine. That's all well and good. But that in itself is not the reason you will be saved. No, it's not based on your righteousness. Listen to St. Paul again. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. All the things Saul could have prided himself in, Paul now counts as rubbish. Skybala is the Greek word there, and it most usually means poop. A more crass version of the word poop, actually. But can also mean rubbish or garbage, etc., and that's usually how it's translated. Paul's self-righteousness isn't worth a pile of beans. We'll go with that. And neither does your righteousness or mine. So what Paul, excuse me, what did Paul discover in its place? All the righteousness of Christ. And that righteousness is worth more than all the piles of silver or gold in the world. And is truly something to be thankful for. Jesus' righteousness is the gold standard, the only righteousness that will avail on the day of judgment. Do you have it? Do you know it? Of course you do. That's why you're here this morning. And the best part is that it's yours as a free gift. And truly, the best and most valuable gift to be giving thanks to God for this blessed morning. This is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. There's nothing else that can compare. For only Christ Jesus, your Savior, will give you the righteous standing you need to stand before God and enter his heaven. You will be saved by works, all right, just not yours. Jesus his works, his keeping of the law on your behalf, his taking of the law's punishment for you in your place. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross for you. He bore the weight of all of your sins and suffered and died the punishment you deserved, shedding his blood to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. Now you are forgiven. You are free. And now the pressure's off. The weight is lifted. 
No more wondering if you've done enough. You haven't. But Jesus has. More than enough. This is the joy of knowing Jesus. And this is what we have to be most thankful for. This and every year. And that's why we keep the law. That's why we do all those great things. It's not because we're using them to earn heaven. We're doing them because we've been given it already. We do it out of thankfulness and praise to our God so that more people would know about his blessed gift of eternal life. And now, through faith in Jesus Christ, you share in his benefits. You share in his inheritance. And that is the message that you joyfully share with others. Joined to Jesus in baptism, you are united with him. His future is your future. And that future is eternal, everlasting life. You will share in Christ's resurrection. When Jesus returns, he will raise you up your body, and give you everlasting life. That's what St. Paul says too, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Christ is coming again. And we look forward with joy to the day of resurrection, the resurrection of the body, your body, transformed to be glorious. No more pain, no more affliction, Death is not the end for us. No. Life, eternal life, together with Christ and all his people, this is what we are looking forward to. So in the meantime, now, we press on. St. Paul puts it like this in his letter. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so do we. We press on. We serve our Lord. We do so because that prize is already waiting for us. In the midst of suffering and loss, we press on. In the midst of gifts received and gifts lost, we press on. In the midst of waiting, waiting for answers that don't seem to come, still we press on. The confidence we have in Christ gives us hope, gives us strength, gives us perseverance. Remember where your citizenship is. It's not in any earthly city or country. No, our citizenship is in heaven. That's the true home that awaits us. A home that can never be replaced with something better. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow citizens of heaven, with St. Paul, you and I know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing else that can compare. You and I have the joy, the great joy of knowing Christ and the gift of salvation that goes along with that. Thanks be to God. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.